welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Today's reading is taken from two of Paul's letters. The first, the letter to the Ephesians, and the second, just a couple of books over, the letter to the Colossians. So starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Thanks, Helen. And good to be with you today. I'm Brian Harris, Pastor at Large here. And want us to look at the topic of patience today, patience. And I don't know what that means for you, but usually it's one of those things that we think, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to be patient. And, and we don't view it as with, with a great sense of delight. And I guess that uh, part of the, almost the sadness of the two passages that have just been read to us is that being a Christian is no guarantee that you don't need to be patient. Because if you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, which Helen just read, read, read to us, uh, Paul says quite clearly, uh, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he goes and says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient. In other words, you have been called by God, but that doesn't stop you needing to be patient. And uh, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, Paul likewise also says, that we must clothe ourselves, uh, knowing that we are called by God and that we are God's dearly loved children, dearly loved children, but we are still called to clothe ourselves with patience. In other words, there's nothing about being a Christian that means you get instant answers, nothing about being a Christian that means that you never have any struggles. Uh, We still sometimes have to battle through things much like anyone else. And in fact, I guess it's because of that that Paul does say to us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. So these two passages over here, they, they, they command us that we must be patient, and uh, they say that we must put on patience. So those are things that we have to do. But they then say that you know, if God's Spirit is working inside of you, if God's Spirit is working inside of you, you, you will develop certain kinds of fruit. And the fruit that you develop will be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So it's something that we have to actively do 
But it's also something that as God works inside of us, we discover that we just change. We become a little bit more patient. And so I wonder if we could do this little test right at the start. Kind of think of you in your pre-Christian days. Now, for some of you, your pre-Christian days were a month ago. For some of you, they were 50 years ago. But, but, but has God's spirit inside of you made you just a little bit more patient? And, and hey, when we talk about patience, we can be talking about different kinds of things, can't we? There can be the patience that you need because you know that something really good is going to happen, but it's not quite now. It's kind of the patience we expect of children, isn't it? Uh, Christmas is coming, and you do the Christmas countdown. Uh, you know, 14 days till Christmas, and Father Christmas will be coming, 13 days, 12 days. And, and, and as the countdown comes, we, we urge our children to be patient because something really nice is going to happen. Uh, my mom made the best chocolate cake in the world, uh, but she was foolish about just one thing. She would always announce in advance, I'm going to bake today, I'm going to make a chocolate cake. It, it would have been much better if she had just announced that she had made it. Uh, because it kind of saying, I'm going to make it, meant that they kind of, I mean, you just had this wonderful sense of all this glorious food you'd be going to eat, but it actually takes quite a long time. And true, I mean, like she was a great mother, so halfway through we'd get to scrape the bowl, but then, oh my goodness, the oven's not quite hot enough, it can't even go in yet, and you've got to wait till it reaches the right temperature, and then it's got to bake for 45 minutes, or an hour, or I don't know, I'm not a cook, maybe seven hours, I don't know how long it is, but anyway, goes in five long, has to go in four, and, uh, and, and then, I mean, in the worst of all, it comes out, and you can't eat it yet, because it's got to cool down before you can put the icing on, and... You know, it just goes on forever and forever and ever, and eventually you get to eat it, and, and that's the glorious moment, isn't it? Patience is rewarded. So, so, so there's that kind of patience where you, where you think, listen, I must just be patient, but something really nice is going to happen. No, there are other kinds of patience. There, there, there's the patience that you just got to get over something. It's just got to pass. Now, now, I have the best marriage in the world, and my wife rose me sitting over there, and we, we're in our 39th year of marriage, and she, she's a fantastic wife. We only disagree about two things. Disagreement in the Harris household, number one. Couples who truly love each other will watch children's movies together. <laughs> Serious? You must be joking. How many of you agree with Rosemary? <laughs> Sorry, my dear, you outvoted. There you are. Uh, no, couples who watch children's movies together are just sad. Um, <laughs> couples who love each other will go shopping together. How many of you agree with that? No, 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 no. Put, put those hands down straight away. And, and, and you know, every now and then I find that I'm kind of lured into saying, yes, I'll go shopping with Rosemary, and I land up in Garden City. And, and you know, it's a real test when I go there. As I, as I go there, I think, okay, breathe, just breathe, just breathe. You do not have to be irritable just because you're shopping. You do not have to be sulky just because you're shopping. You do not have to be grumpy just because all this money, and you have very little of it, has just been wasted on things that we really do not need. You, you know, you don't have to make sarky comments just because of that. And, and all the way through, you know, there is no reward in this whatsoever, none. But it will pass. Eventually it draws to an end and you're back home again. And you're like, okay, well, I was patient there, and I only blew it 37 times. But, uh, you know, on the whole, it was fine. So, so, so there are those kinds of things that you just patiently endure, and it gets to the end of them. But then there are things that change us because we're patient. We, we actually become better people as a result of them. And, and I think this is the, the patience that's been spoken about in this chapter here. 
If, if you actually look at, at the Greek word for patience, both in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, in Colossians chapter 3, but it speaks about, about patience, it talks about uh, macrothumia, macrothumia. Now, now, you can figure out macro means big, and big suffering or big struggle. And, and basically what the Greek is saying, and, and it's translated in most versions as patience, but in some it probably more accurately translates it as adopt long-suffering, be a long-suffering person, and, and probably long-suffering is a little bit more accurate. And, and that, that concept of be a long-suffering person means put up, some, put up with something in such a way that you allow it to change you and to change you so that you become a better person. So it's not just, well, you know, I waited a while and then something great happened, or I waited a while and then I finished, thank goodness, uh, but I waited, and in the midst of that waiting, something was happening inside of me, and I actually became a significantly better person as a result of this. Now, now that's actually the kind of patience that the Bible is talking about here. It's, it's viewing patience as a constructive thing, that helps to remake you and that molds you in a different way. And, and I can think of different ways in which that's happened in my life. Some of you who, who've known me for a while might remember that back in 2016, I twisted my ankle really badly. And uh, having twisted it really badly, I kind of initially it was so painful that I thought that I'd broken it. Went along to, to, to the doctor, no, no break. He said, well, just take a bit of time. I suggested that I go to the physio. Went to the physio, physio looks at the ankle, physio says, all right, fine, I'll, I'll do this or that for, for whatever it was that the physio did, and said, you'll be fine again in two weeks. Turns out, I have the world's most optimistic physiotherapist. I mean, two weeks passes, it's not even vaguely better. So I go back to the doctor, who has another look at it, and he says, hmm, 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 well, good news is this, it will get better eventually, but this could take two years before it's right again. Mercifully, I have the world's most pessimistic doctor uh, because it didn't take quite that long, but it did take three months. Three months in which I was just like hobbling along and every step was painful. And it's just, I don't know those of you who used to walking and walking quite fast, if suddenly you can't, it does actually change your life. I mean, I don't think that I have ever in my entire life stopped. You, you, you know when you cross pedestrian crossing and the little red man has, is flashing? Have you ever actually stopped for that before? I mean, I've never stopped for that in my life before. It's like just this invitation of how quickly can you get across the road? I mean, why would you take that seriously? There's clearly times, not yet read yet. Uh, so, you know, always just charge across and then suddenly you can't. In fact, I suddenly found that actually even if it was green, I still wouldn't go unless it had started being green when I got there because I just was like having to like limp across at the snail's pace. And usually when I see people walking along, I kind of think, okay, which side should I overtake them on, left or right? Uh, you know, and view them simply as people to be overtaken. And suddenly when you limping along, you notice people a little bit more. In fact, I, I, I write a blog, uh, and, and, and some of you consult it, and I wrote some of my thoughts from that time. I wrote a little blog post on walking with a limp. And I, and I hauled out some of the things that I find had actually changed for me in those three months. And, and I think some of them have actually stayed with me. I, I think the first thing that changed for me in, the, in that time was that I, I genuinely thought, I don't think I'll ever take my health for granted again. I don't think I'll ever take my health for granted again. Because when it just suddenly goes, and, and for me it was like it just twisted my ankle. One second I was fine, the next second, like it was just in, in agony. When, when something goes very quickly, you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, life 
can change quite quickly. And for me, I mean, it was just an ankle. It wasn't the end of the world, but I am a bit of a drama queen, as you'll gather. Uh, so, you know, it felt like enormous, and I thought, oh, you know, don't, don't take anything for granted. Don't, don't take health for granted. Now, now, that's actually quite a good lesson to learn. And, and I seriously have actually started to realize the value of sometimes walking a little more slowly. Because, you, you know, when you're forced to walk more slowly, you, you actually see some things that you don't otherwise see. And you see people that you sometimes otherwise don't see. And if you're in a little less of a hurry to get places, you sometimes just do notice some things differently. And, and every now and then, because I'm, I'm back to doing what I usually do and, and kind of trying to get everywhere fairly fast, but every now and then I remind myself that it can be a really good discipline just to slow right down, just to stop, to watch, to notice some people. I learned, and, and this one really did impact me, I, I developed a huge new respect for people who have disabilities but remain very significantly involved in life. Because, you know, if you're not 100% altogether, to be a participant in life can actually be very difficult. And it struck me, I, you know, during this time when I was really hobbling, I, I had to go to a conference in Melbourne. And uh, so it's fine, I go to conferences quite regularly. Get there, arrive at the airport, go on the Melbourne bus into the centre of the city. First thing I noticed, hop onto the bus. Well, no, I didn't hop onto the bus, I crawled onto the bus. Not a single seat on the lower floor, not one. And did anyone stand for me? No, they did not. So I had to then climb upstairs, the upstairs thing, on, on the bus. You know, when you can't walk properly and you've got to kind of pull yourself up on there, it's, it's quite disconcerting, actually, quite disconcerting. And I spent the rest of the trip thinking, I got up, now how on earth am I going to get down at the other end? And, and you just experience things more, dif more differently. And, you know, whenever I go to these things, I always use public transport, so that's fine. But never before had I noticed how far away train stations are sometimes from destinations, or how wobbly buses are when you, when you go on them. And, and you suddenly realize, actually, if you're not in quiet, pristine health, to keep participating in life takes a little bit of courage. It does take a bit of courage, and it's not that easy. And I look at people now who, who have to overcome obstacles, and I feel a huge amount of extra respect for them. And, I, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, so what am I saying from, from that particular experience? I think from, from that experience of, of three months of, of hobbling along, I've come out valuing my health better. I've come out recognizing that actually sometimes it's good to slow down. And I've come up with a whole new respect for people who struggle in one way or another. Now, now those are good things. That's, that, 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 that's macrothumia. That, 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 that's a change that comes about because something hasn't gone quite the way that you wanted. And, and what Paul is saying to us in the first instance, he's saying, be people who allow life's experiences, life's sometimes quite difficult experiences, to do something good inside of you. Be people who allow life sometimes quite difficult experiences to do something good inside of you. Now, 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 now as we look at, the, at these passages, I want us just to remember a couple of things about them. So, so who wrote uh, Ephesians 4, the passage we're looking at? Who wrote Colossians chapter 3, the passage we're looking at? Easy answer. Paul. Apostle Paul. Uh, when did he write them? We can give the answer quite confidently. He wrote them between the years 60 and 62 AD. Where did he write them? We can also answer quite confidently. He wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome. Okay, so these are two letters, 
Two of four letters that were written while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. The other two are Philippians and Philemon. Now, think about that for a while. I don't know how well you know the Bible or how much you studied Paul before, but Paul is a very interesting character. And, and you know, just as a personality, if, if you put together the threads that we know about Paul, uh, you don't have to be a genius to conclude that Paul was a type A personality. I mean, he was thoroughly driven, uh, fully energetic, very engaged in life, always wanting to do things, always on the go. And, and he was always like that. So, so again, if you know something of the story of Paul, he, he's this person who gets converted from having been rushing around everywhere, arresting Christians and having them imprisoned. And uh, that's the kind of person he is, the, the, the kind of person who looks at this new faith, sees it as a threat to Judaism, saying, that's no good, we're going to arrest Christians, and he's, he's just very energetic, and he's on the go. And, and, and then he gets converted. And having been converted, what kind of a person is he? Exactly the same kind of person. He rushes around everywhere, he starts planting churches everywhere, he goes on missions everywhere, he, he, he helps people to understand, I mean, he is so energetic, it's unbelievable. And, and, and is he patient? Well, not really, actually, if you read some of the things, he's very impatient with some of his co-mission co workers, and, he, and, and, and that, that, that kind of feeds on through. And then the year 60 dawns, and he's put under house arrest in Rome. How do you think an A-type personality likes being under house arrest? I mean, just, just think about it. How do you, I mean, I'm sure you wouldn't like it, and some of you are driven A-type personalities as well, but, 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 but of all the kinds of people that there can be, being under house arrest is the very worst for that kind of people. I mean, if he was a lovely contemplate, uh, then that could have been, oh, you know, a little bit of time out on my own, under house arrest for a few years, but, but no, he's not that kind of personality at all. He's, he's very active, very driven. And he goes under house arrest, and uh, we're told, and in Acts chapter 28, verse 16, tells us that there was a guard perpetually on duty there. In other words, he, 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 he wasn't in prison. He was allowed to rent a house. While he rented that house, he wasn't allowed to move out of the house. A guard was there. In other words, a guard made sure that he didn't move out, but a guard would have been monitoring all his conversations to make sure that nothing subversive was going on. And he has no idea how long this is going to last for when it starts. No, no idea at all. And as it begins, he might have thought and he might have wondered, is this going to end in my death? And, and let's be quite clear about this. This particular imprisonment did not lead to Paul's death, but a later one did, because we know that Paul was beheaded. So for him to have been a little anxious that he was never going to get out was perfectly realistic, perfectly realistic. As he sat there day after day, it would have just been a reasonable thing to think, I'm probably never going to get out of here. That was perfectly reasonable. And you can imagine him kind of starting each day, this, this driven kind of man, you know, stuck within these four walls with the guard kind of watching over him. I'm sure that, 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 that as he started each day, he would just kind of think, you know, start himself to think, you know, if I have to just look at that guard for one minute longer, I think I'm just going to start screaming. <laughs> you know, I don't think I can survive here. You know, I want to get out of this place. Thank you very much. This is just appalling. And at some point, you can almost hear himself having to say to himself, Paul, just breathe, just, just, just breathe. So, so you know what? You are just stuck here for today. You know what, Paul? There's no getting out of here today. And you know what? It's probably going to be like that tomorrow as well. So just get over it. And you can almost imagine Paul one day kind of thinking to himself, oh, you know, this is absolutely insufferable. I, there's, there's nothing to do here. Well, I suppose I could write a letter to the Philippians. 
Oh, well, nothing to do the next day. Well, I suppose I could write a letter to the Ephesians. Well, I suppose I could write a letter to the Colossians. Well, I suppose I could write a letter to Philemon. And, and, and you see what's actually happening there? And, and that most frustrating, unbearable time of his life, he's actually doing some of his most constructive work. I mean, thank goodness Paul was under house arrest. Thank goodness he was under house arrest. I mean, I don't know how much of the Bible you read, but for, imagine if I were to ask, how many people have Philippians as their favorite book? I imagine lots of you would raise your hands. I mean, it's just a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And theologically, I mean, they, they, this, there's this debate amongst theologians about which, where do you find Paul's best theology, in Romans or Colossians? Romans or Colossians, and that's an interesting debate. Uh, I tip over on the Colossians side, actually. You know, no house arrest, maybe no Colossians gets, get, 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 gets written. Uh, you know, there is profound stuff that comes in the season of absolute frustration where Paul is longing to be anywhere but where he actually is. And we need to hear that. And, and some of you today may feel extraordinarily frustrated about the season of your life that you're in at the moment. It may feel as though there's not a single door opening up for you. Perhaps you, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a stay-at-home dad, and you spend all that time kind of with these little children who, oh my goodness, it's taxing and it takes all your patience. And, and maybe you're doing your most valuable work in all of your life in those days. Maybe the relationships that you're forming right now will shape them shape you, shape your entire future, and you don't actually realize it, that, that in the frustratingness of the moment, something good is happening. You, you see, that's macrothumia. That's, that, 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 that's, it's a long period, and something happens, and something good has been done, and you've been changed somebody, somehow within. And, and so I want to urge you to, to think about this present moment, this season that you're in in your life, and, and for some of you, I realize it's a flying season and everything's going really well. And, and in fact, uh, you're, you're not impatient about it at all. In fact, if anything, you just want to say, this is so enjoyable. I just want to hold on to it. You know, I'm loving this period of my life. If only it could last for longer. But, but, but some of you are wishing this time away. You, you, you're kind of waiting for tomorrow. It's kind of like the patience that, well, eventually something nice will happen. Um, maybe God is doing the most valuable work of all in you right now and maybe be open to that possibility. Let me say one more thing as we start to draw towards a close. If you speak about patience, uh, I, I guess, yeah, yeah, as you think about yourself in this season, it, it is possible that you think, yes, I'm called to be patient, but I don't know, can, can I really be sure that God is doing something worthwhile and good in me. Now, now I want you to listen again to, to these passages. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, worthy of the calling you have received. You see, Paul has this confidence in this under house arrest epistle. He speaks out to people and he says, God has called you. You have been called. Now, now, now live a life worthy of this calling that you've received, and it will not be worthy unless you're completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And, and then, then, then over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, do, do you see it again? You're called, you are chosen, you are holy and dearly loved, he says. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and 
patience and patience. Now, when we think about God, I, I don't know what your image of God is, but I have noticed over the years as a pastor that some people think about God in a way that is really quite unhelpful. And in fact, uh, if I were to ask some people what the image of God is, I think some people would describe God as what Richard Raw calls the critical spectator. And I wonder if your image of God is sometimes like that, as a critical spectator. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? Uh, when, when I was a kid, I used to love going to watch the soccer. And, and every Sunday afternoon, I'd go to watch, ideally, my team, Durban Spurs, play, but sometimes it was Durban United and sometimes it was Durban City, and I, I loved that. And, and I'm a creature of habit, so every single Sunday afternoon, I'd be there, and I'd sit in exactly the same spot. And there was another man there who was also a creature of habit because he was sitting in exactly the same spot every week. He was sitting in the row in front of me. And I don't know if you've been at sports events where some spectators are pretty vocal, aren't they? Uh, and this man in front of me, George, he was a very vocal spectator. Uh, very funny, actually, but, but very loud. And he'll, I mean, you just had this nonstop commentary on the game as it went on through. It, it just, just from, the, from, from the opening start to the end, George would be kind of giving his little commentary, boom, 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 boom. And it was invariably totally critical. I mean, everything was wrong. And that idiot over there, didn't you see that? And you need new spectacles. And referee, what's wrong with you? And the coach is absolutely hopeless. And, 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 and you'd have this kind of 90 minutes of just blah, 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 blah. everyone's mad, everyone's crazy, this is a disaster and uh, I'm quite witty in the midst of it but, but decidedly negative and, and I think that you know, as, a, as a young kid and I would have probably been about 9 or 10 in, the, in those years, it kind of made me think that when people watch what other people do, that's what they do they just they watch and they criticise no, you don't do that very well, you don't do that very well you're not, you're not very good at that oh, I do that ever so much better and it struck me that, that many people, I think, think about God like that. They think God is watching us and watching us to find fault with us and watching us to say, oh, you didn't do very well there, did you? You know, better repent of that sin. You, you know, did, did that very badly. You know, be sorry about that. And, and so we, we have this idea of God as, as, our, our, as this critical spectator who watches us and says negative things about everything that we're doing. That, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, says Paul, is one who calls you dearly loved, called, chosen. The, the, the one who's actually cheering you on. The one who doesn't say, listen, I'm going to wrap you up in cotton wool. You'll, you'll never need patience. You'll get everything just the moment you are. No, it doesn't say that. No, no, you are called, you are chosen, and you certainly will need patience. But you are dearly loved, and I am with you, and I'm helping you. And that is why my spirit actually works. Yes, you must put in patience, but my spirit will work inside of you to help you to be more patient. Do, do, do you see the love behind that? And do you see that, that God is actually saying, I know that some seasons in life can be very frustrating, very frustrating, but I am with you in the midst of this. And let this be a macrothumia period for you, this period of long-suffering. Let, let it change you so that you actually are a better person as a result. If I were to ask you, how does the Bible end? What's, what's the note in which the Bible ends? Um, I wonder what you'd answer. So, so, so what's the closing verse of the Bible? If you'd asked me, and I didn't have a moment to think about it, I would have thought, oh, it's easy. Uh, it, it, it finishes, Re Revelation chapter 22 is the final chapter, and it says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. 
because the word Maranatha means come Lord Jesus. And I would have said, yes, that, that, that's the closing sentiment in the Bible. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And, and I would even have said, you know, such a beautiful thing that the Bible finishes with, that, that, that the Bible would start this perfect creation, finishes with its closing word, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Lord, Lord, Lord Jesus, we come in, we, we long for your coming again. Because actually patience in the Bible, if, if I were to be more theological, patience in the Bible is an eschatological concept. What do I mean by that? Patience is an eschatological co- concept. It means that, that, that patience is required because we, we live in a world that is not yet the world that God desires. It is not the world that is going to be. And it is eschatological because that is what we're waiting for and that's what we long for. And we know that in this present moment, there are so many things that fall so far short of what God actually wants. And so, so we look to the future and we know that ultimately God will bring it about. And we know that we're called to patience and, and we make the eschatological cry, Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And, and so, so how does the Bible end? The Bible ends with the words, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, except no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It actually finishes with Revelation chapter 20, verse 21, because I just quoted to you Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. The second last verse of the Bible says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The very last verse of the Bible says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I think that that's put together quite intentionally because, because after all that John has seen in this revelation, he's just saying, oh God, please come back. Rescue us. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And, and, and I think he wants to finish it there saying, it's going to be soon. It's going to happen any time now. But actually, there's the Maranatha cry. And then there is the other word, actually, no. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You've got to see this one through. It's not going to be gone tomorrow. It's not going to be gone the next day. Maranatha, indeed, make that cry. But the last word is actually God's grace with you today. God's grace with you tomorrow. God's grace with you in every season of life as you allow God to change you through whatever circumstance you're going through at the moment. And so we pray Maranatha, but the answer is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. And Lord, some of us, that Maranatha cry is a very intense cry for us. We want to be out what it is that we're struggling with at the moment, and we want it to be over. And we thank you for your promise of grace. And if it should be that you rescue us from some of the things that we're going through right away, then Lord, we will bless you and we will thank you. But if you simply say to us, grace, 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 I'm not criticizing you. I'm not the critical spectator judging you. Watching you, you are called, you are chosen, you are dearly loved. And grace to you, grace from me to you. Lord, help us to hear that. Help us to live in the light of that. Amen.